0: Coronavirus New Zealand, a daily stuff
1: podcast. Hey, did you see we've got some competition? Who? What? Where? Paul Henry. He's got a new show. Is he doing a podcast? No, it's only TV. But it's basically our show. Just fancier. Some guy sitting in a dark room and recording his Zoom conferences with random people. He stole our line, bro. Anyway, welcome to Coronavirus NZ for Tuesday, the 21st of April. I'm
0: Adam Dudding. And I'm Eugene Bingham. Each day we bring you the top headlines, some of the more unusual things we've noticed about life under lockdown, and then we slow it down to zoom in on one particular topic. Zoom? Should we be zooming? (laughs) I don't know if zooming is what we need to be doing.
1: Leave that to Paul
0: Henry. There was a little bright spot today. For the past week... Whenever Ashley Bloomfield mentions the hospital stats, he's consistently talked about someone who's in a critical condition at Dunedin Hospital. My family and I have found ourselves rooting for this person in Dunedin to keep on fighting. And today, Bloomfield City is pleased to report that no one in the country was in a critical condition and there weren't any deaths in Dunedin. So we don't know who you are, anonymous Dunedin patient, but that all adds up to really good news. We hope you're getting better.
1: Like us, Australia is still in lockdown, although there are looser rules on the way. And I think I've found the ultimate Aussie lockdown arrest. A guy, his name is Mr Bondi, apparently, was handcuffed after ignoring lockdown signs and wandering across the sand at, of course, Bondi Beach in Sydney. And what was he wearing? But of course, bright red budgie smugglers. Fair dinkum.
0: Yeah, could only have got more Aussie, really, if he'd been riding a kangaroo down to the water. Later, we speak with Dr Robert Bartholomew, a world expert in conspiracy
1: theories and the history of them, What does the 5G-causes-COVID-19 nonsense say about us as a society, we ask him? And why do these wacky ideas flourish? But first, what's
0: happened today? There has been another death from COVID-19 this time a woman in her 70s who was a resident at St Margaret's Rest Home in Auckland. In total, 13 people have died. The other big news from the 1pm news conference was the announcement that there were just five new cases in the past 24 hours. That's the lowest number since we went into lockdown.
1: The World Health Organization's chief has warned the world that the worst is yet ahead of us. There have already been more than 2.5 million people infected worldwide, but what's really concerning, it seems, is what's going to happen as it spreads through Africa. Dr Tedros said, let's prevent this tragedy. It's a virus that many people still
0: don't understand. Police Minister Stuart Nash has given a quiet nod really to those checkpoints operating in isolated towns, especially those ones up north. There's been a concern that citizen roadblocks might be illegal, but Nash said it's probably okay if they've got the support of local community and police.
1: And there's been a lot of attention today on a report done into the country's contact tracing system. That's the way health officials chase down anyone who might have come into contact with the coronavirus case. The report is written by Otago University infectious diseases specialist Aisha Verrill.
0: Thomas Manch, Stuff political reporter, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thomas, this report on contact tracing by Aisha Verrill has made quite a splash. Why was it commissioned in the first place?
2: Contact tracing, it's one of the key parts of public health response to uh, any pandemic, but particularly now. Um, it sits alongside sort of border controls and testing as being a major. the major levers. Um, public health officials can pull to try and control the virus. And there had been a bit of noise this month building up about failures to promptly track down people who'd come in contact with positive cases of the virus, or people who'd caught it. Dr. Ashley Boonfield commissioned it to audit the system, see what needed improving, and, you know, sort of get ahead of that.
0: And so she went in there, and, and what did she find?
2: Basically, it came down to capacity issues, contact tracing the long standing method of of doing it has been handled by 12 regional public health units around the country and they had maybe 100 staff so they were they were making all the calls trying to keep track of everyone who had the virus and who who they'd been in touch with and as we entered lockdown and the number of COVID cases increased significantly, people were returning home, they were travelling on domestic flights, these these units were getting swamped, you know, they were unable to keep up with fewer than 100 cases a day. And at the peak, we were seeing some 80 cases a day, so they must have been extremely busy. And. Phone numbers couldn't be found for people at times. The ministry very quickly in early April stood up a national contact tracing centre, which we've heard a lot about since. There still seems to be some issues there in terms of they've got a new software, which seems to be very good for, for running the tracing, but the public health units, the regional units, can't see that software still. So there's you know some sort of big unknowns in terms of if we leave lockdown and a cluster breaks out, will we have the capacity to effectively track down people who have come into contact with it?
0: One of the other issues is that it seems that it was geared up for something like an influenza outbreak, whereas this is something quite different.
2: Yeah, it is. And um, Dr Vera, I just spoke to her earlier. She was quite quite interesting on that. I mean, contact tracing has long been part of our pandemic plan, which is the sort of the paperwork for how we would handle a pandemic and an outbreak like this. She said that normally contact tracing would be considered for influenzas in like a stamp it out phase when there's not widespread community outbreak. It seems like the experience in Singapore and in South Korea was that contact tracing was actually very effective even when you had a higher number of cases at, ha- at containing the virus. So she was sort of saying that while it's not terribly surprising that we didn't have the resources there, before, say, February, but that we've had to escalate it since because we realise it will be a very useful tool.
0: What's going to change because of this report?
2: I'm trying to get a better, better clarity on that at the moment. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern announced yesterday that £55 million would go into contact tracing, which is a substantial sum of money, and that would, that would be used to also hire a surge capacity of 300 full-time staff members. Now, we're not sure yet where those 300 staff members will go. It seems maybe they will go to the regional public health units, which is sort of the real vital cog in the system. And then otherwise, it will be very interesting to see how these systems are better bolstered and whether that will be adequate for us to leave lockdown.
0: The report is, is 10 days old. Why do you think the government's been sitting on it for so long?
2: Honestly, I'm not sure. Dr. Verrill said she seemed to have a day to go in there and seems to have turned around the report very quickly. You know, it's dated on um, April 10, which gives a 10-day run-in. I would suspect, and this is what Dr. Verrill said, that the government was probably getting its ducks in a row, knew that the report would reveal some issues. There's a widely held perception at the moment that uh, the reason why we haven't left lockdown so quickly is because the system was not up and running as it could and should be. And so therefore, they delayed the report until they could sign off the money and sort out the system.
0: There's been talk of a a gold standard contact tracing system is that what we'd have if these recommendations in this report are followed through and actually enacted?
2: I think in theory, yeah. I'm not sure how close we are to that yet. So, because there's been this 10-day lag between the report being released and it being written, we're not sure what work has been exactly what work has been done since then. Doctor Ashley Bloomfield has said we're maybe days away from having a gold standard contact tracing system. Doctor Viral has a slightly different metric to what Doctor Bloomfield is, and part of her metric is that there should be the ability to scale up to tackle a thousand cases. COVID cases a day and that you know the ministry has what's what she refers to as like an outbreak plan not quite sure where they're at with that yet asking questions today and hopefully we will see some results.
0: Thomas Manch thank you very much you know we did see a, a good suggestion from a, a Juno on Twitter saying let's get some of the recently sacked reporters to do contact tracing don't imagine that repaired in the report though.
2: No no did it <laughs> not at all.
0: Thank you very much.
1: So we learnt today that there's to be a sort of investigation into New Zealand's distribution of face masks and other personal protective equipment. You know, that's the PPE everyone keeps talking about. So the Auditor General, he's the parliamentary watchdog who keeps an eye on what government gets up to. Uh, He'll take a look at this issue, which has really been bubbling away. For weeks, we've had our new national hero, Ashley Bloomfield, saying at the 1pm's that there's ample supply of PPE. But meanwhile, we do keep hearing from healthcare workers saying, where is it, and and raising other issues. And, and this is in a time when we're not even getting overwhelmed by cases.
0: There's been some really great reporting around this. Our colleague Andrea Vance at Stuff has written about it. She's pointed out that the number of health workers who contracted COVID-19 jumped 60% in just four days last week. And PPE is obviously meant to be one of the ways to stop that happening. News Hub reporter Michael Mora has also done great work around this. One of his pieces revealed a message that was sent to all staff at Middlemore Hospital in South Auckland encouraging them to decontaminate and then recycle PPE. You know, that hardly sounds like they've got plenty, does it? The issue became one of the real crunch points at the 1pm news conferences. The, the government's been pushing a pretty positive we're all in this together message. Journalists keep asking questions, including what about PPE? There has been some action. The distribution of PPE has been nationalised and $200 million is to be spent on more supplies. But this review is a good step to reassure people.
1: Is it that great a step though? I mean, in the middle of all this chaos, what actually is the point of a big, time-consuming, presumably quite expensive review that won't even be published for for weeks and weeks?
0: Where do I start, Adam? It's precisely (laughs) because we're in the middle of this chaos that these reviews are important, you know, that we get things right. And the Auditor General has an important place in our in our democracy to, as a check on on government. And so, where you've got the government saying one thing and people on the on the ground, the grassroots really saying another thing, they're an important check against well, what's really going on here. The fact that it won't be published for weeks, you know, well, that's probably light speed in terms of some reviews that get done. Uh, and I, I just think it's an important thing to happen.
1: All right, I won't challenge a former gallery reporter on on these important issues again. Uh, Speaking of PPE, we received an interesting message to the viruspod at stuff.co.nz email address. Uh, It reads, Dear Manager, Hello, we are a professional manufacturer of Mask Airline. We can supply high quality Mask Airline. I should pause at this moment to say, I don't know what Mask Airline means either. It's like E-A-R. So anyway, but it's something a bit masky, isn't it? I think they're trying to sell us masks. I sincerely hope to be your supplier and look forward to your reply
0: to this email? A couple of issues with that one, really, isn't there? But first of all, it starts off, dear manager. Uh, who is the manager of this
1: outfit? We can discuss that later. But once we've figured that out, I, I reckon we put in an order. Thanks,
0: manager. Hey, Adam, how's your lockdown viewing going? You still on Ozark? Well, actually, I'm not. Moved on. to Well, Homeland is continuing. More
1: death mayhem. People doing terrible things with each other with guns and helicopters. And on a slightly more uplifting note, I have been moving into the last few episodes of The Good Place with my
0: daughter. I'm actually a little bit worried about you, you know, because it sounds a bit like binge watching to me. And I've got some really bad news. Some Dutch scientists have been looking at what damaged sedentary behaviour does to your heart's major blood vessels. They estimated that four hours a day of watching telly increases the risk of developing coronary artery disease.
1: To this research, I say diddums. I was never watching Netflix for its health effects.
0: Emails. Yes, the Helen Clark interview, the interview that keeps on giving really, uh, keeps drawing correspondence. Fair to say she divided opinion. Here's a sample.
1: Susan. Fantastic interview with Auntie Helen. I learned so much more than from many other news stories. She's a mind of information and doesn't pull any punches. Well, yes, quite. Hone? You know, people are getting turned off by your continuous Trump-bashing propaganda. It is demented. Noted. We're also getting a torrent, okay, more like a trickle, but still, of emailed voice memos as requested from Kiwis around the planet. Uh, Here's one from Kyle, a Wellingtonian in Lombok.
3: Hey guys, this is Kyle Mason coming from sunny Gili Air in Lombok, Indonesia, not too far from Bali, which I'm sure you guys all know. So we're currently in a lockdown, semi-lockdown here on our small paradise of an island. Every now and again, tuning in to listen to some Kiwi accents and uh, some relatively good news coming out of the homeland. I'm originally from Wellington and I've come over here and... Um, so with a couple of friends Started up a, a few hostels Nobody really knows what's going on in Lombok And the rest of Indonesia The media is, is It's essentially propaganda You get the reports from Indonesian media outlets And it's just just a load of crap really It's uh, They claim to not have any cl- cases uh, All through January And into February maybe even and then you get the Australian reporting on Indonesia, which is also propaganda, but from the other point of view, they just are tearing down Indonesia and, and making it sound worse than what it is. We get the feeling that if it does get rampant here, then this country is going to be, uh, will not be able to cope. Um, if the lots of the UK and the US can't, uh, Indonesia, they've got no show. But anyway, we're enjoying it while we can. Um, I'm having my birthday in a couple of weeks. I'll be 31. So still still healthy. Must say sehat, as they'd say in this country.
1: Well, enjoy your birthday, Kyle. Stay safe. Just so you know, Kyle sent that last week, and for the record, the WHO figures from Indonesia for yesterday were 6,575 total confirmed cases and 47 new deaths that day, taking that total to 582. So huge country, fast population, so those are still quite small numbers, but we'll see. If you're overseas, please keep the voice memos coming. No more than two minutes, if possible. And we want to hear your name, where you are, and what your lockdown's looking like, if you are in lockdown. Oh, actually, on a technical note, feel free to find the quietest room you possibly can. The email again, viruspod at stuff.co.nz. The
0: plague playlist continues to draw a lot of attention too, doesn't it? Yeah, Emily emails us to say,
1: so glad you mentioned my corona. It's been going around in my head since the beginning. The other one is Verona by our local LMNOP. Ha! I
0: wonder if anyone's done a parody version of that yet. Challenge. Hey, speaking of the plague playlist, today's one needs a bit of background really. A few weeks ago, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was speaking at a press conference about face masks and he said, It protects others more than it protects you because it protects you from breathing or speaking moistly on them. Trudeau then realised his cringeworthy choice of words and said, ugh, what a terrible image.
1: So that's the background, but then we got this recommendation for the Plague Playlist from a listener, Steve, who said, I wanted to share this catchy little ditty from Justin Trudeau.
4: Wash our hands, off into our elbows. These
3: are the things, the things we know, we know. If people want to wear a mask that is okay these are the things the things
1: we know to prevent you from speaking moistly speaking moistly I thought that song was moistly good Uh. before this next bit there's something we need to get out of the way and it's this cell phones and cell phone networks don't make people sick not 5g not 4g not 3G, and I guess not the first 2Gs before that. All of these systems use radio waves to ping signals and information between our phones and the nearest cell phone tower. And the physics of it make it simply impossible for those radio waves to get into your cells and cause cancer or mess up your immune system or whatever other claims are being made in the dark corners of Facebook. You don't have to believe me, but you might want to believe, say... Professor Rodney Croft from the University of Wollongong in Australia, who's literally a world expert on this and recently put out another reminder about it. He's chief investigator with the Australian Centre for Electromagnetic Bioeffects. He explains that there are essentially two broad types of electromagnetic radiation. There's ionising radiation, which includes X-rays and the gamma rays that come out of nuclear reactors. That stuff can harm you and mess with your cells, give you cancer and so on. And then there's non-ionizing radiation, which is pretty much just about everything else on the electromagnetic spectrum. So heat, light, radio waves. And cell phone radio waves, doesn't matter which G you're talking about, falls into that second group. So as this guy Rodney says, 5G uses non-ionizing radiation to operate and so does not have enough energy to ionize atoms or molecules. The only effect that it has is to heat the body But due to the very low power that is used for 5G, this heating is too small to be noticeable or to do any harm. So, got that? That is honestly all you need to know about 5G health risks. There aren't any. Anyway, these theories, and let's call them what they are, conspiracy theories, are not new. Dr. Robert Bartholomew studies them. He's an American medical sociologist and co-author of Outbreak, the Encyclopedia of Extraordinary Social Behaviour. He's an honorary member of the Department of Psychological Medicine at the University of Auckland, and he joins us now. Welcome, Robert. Thank you. So, Robert, we know 5G doesn't make you sick, and that 5G in particular has zero, zilch, nada connection to COVID-19 in any way at all, unless perhaps you lick the smartphone of someone who's got the virus. So, why is it we've seen the worldwide rise of these bizarre theories about 5G and COVID-19.
4: In one word, anxiety. You Uh get rumors and conspiracy theories flourishing in periods where there's ambiguity, uncertainty, anxiety, and something of perceived importance in its close proximity. All those create the perfect storm. And look, you're always going to get a small number of rogue scientists who believe in anything. There are scientists out there who believe in Bigfoot or that people are being abducted by space aliens. And there's a long history of people fearing the health effects of new technologies, everything from the telephone to AM radio.
0: Can Can you give us some of those examples that you, you've mentioned there and just explain them a bit more?
4: Sure. I mean, back in the 17th century, many people believed that listening to music Harm the female nervous system and caused an array of ailments from miscarriages to heart disease. And I mean many people, including popular doctors and musicians. This often centers around new technologies. In the 1880s, medical journals were filled with warnings that spending too much time on the new invention of the telephone could harm the nervous system. In fact, in the first few decades of the telephone, Many telephone operators, who were mainly female, claimed that listening to crackling sounds over the phone was making them sick and even giving them concussions. And this went on well into the 1920s and 30s. Around the same time, there was this popular belief that riding passenger trains could cause spinal damage. It was called railway spine, and all sorts of people were coming up with um, claims that they had this new ailment. When AM radio first came on the scene in the early 1900s, there were fears that the invisible waves were making people sick and even causing disturbances to the weather.
0: Wow. So is there a difference between genuinely held fears, if you like,
4: and, and deliberate hoaxes? Well, I think most people are concerned when you get a new technology just because it's different. And that's normal and it's natural. And you always have these scientists out there who are outliers, who are claiming that Wi-Fi is killing people or mobile phones. And so it's natural for people to have anxiety and concerns around these. And look, they listen to experts and Experts often disagree, but you have to look at mainstream science in the majority of the scientific community. Of course, sometimes new technologies
1: are dangerous, right? I mean, nuclear power plants really do cause some cancer. And when there was lead in petrol, it did cause cognitive harm to millions of children. So it's okay, isn't it, to have some wariness about new technology, particularly cutting edge technologies? Just until it's been proven safe.
4: That's true. But in this case, the evidence uh, is overwhelming. A good example are wind farms, the infrasound below the range of human hearing from the turning of the wind turbine blades that have been blamed for over 200 health problems around the world. Auckland University, the Department of Psychological Medicine, has done a number of studies on this, led by Professor Keith Petrie. And they've shown a clear psychological origin. But despite this, many people still believe that living near wind turbines is causing them to get sick.
1: Including Donald Trump, it would appear. At least he he claims to believe that, but you you never quite know with him. What I was curious to know is what's sort of the mechanism for how these fact-free beliefs develop and
4: spread? How does that work? The recipe for these outbreaks are situations just like you have right now. We have an extraordinary backdrop, which is COVID-19. And you have this ambiguous situation where people aren't sure of the infection rate. There's all kinds of different experts giving different views on COVID-19. And in a situation like this, I think it erodes confidence in experts. And we are more vulnerable to listening to experts who are outliers, who are rogue experts, who are outside of mainstream science. And of course, in the internet age, there's all sorts of views out there. And people often have confirmation bias, we gravitate toward those beliefs that reinforce our own prejudices and and backgrounds. And so you get this Tremendous amount of anxiety, which is going on now, this uncertainty, this ambiguity. And in this situation, when you have topics of perceived importance that directly and potentially affect us, close proximity, this is a rumor generating factory, which just churns out rumors and conspiracy theories to the point where snoops.com which is a very famous website which looks at rumors and hoaxes, has been saying they've had so many rumors related to COVID-19 alone that they can't keep up.
0: As part of my job last year, I spent months trawling social media in the dark web in the aftermath of the Christchurch shooting. And I was frankly gobsmacked by the utter nonsense and conspiracies that were spun. But there also seem to be an intersection where racism and other extreme beliefs and and, and religion and and social deprivation, they all seem to congregate alongside these sorts of conspiracies.
4: Yeah, I think a lot of this has to do with uh, confirmation bias. The internet is a great tool, but it's also the largest cesspool out there as well in terms of a lot of beliefs that just are unfounded. But you can go out there now And if I'm a racist and believe in white supremacy, I can just gravitate to these websites that promote this. And this is a problem because you get a distorted view of reality. It's the same with people believing in alien abductions and Bigfoot. Yeah, there's some evidence out there, not a lot and not a lot of scientific evidence. But if I just go to websites on Bigfoot and alien abductions, it looks very much like it's real. Mm. And how come everybody else isn't believing it?
0: You get people who believe it. You also get a lot of people who just roll their eyes and go, but should we be concerned? Are the you know, just getting back to COVID, are these sorts of conspiracy theories about COVID-19 dangerous?
4: Absolutely. The 5G conspiracy theories around COVID-19 are serious stuff because people may not heed their advice from public health officials and they might not even self-isolate. And the problem is if you hold fast to these theories, they may start to ignore social distancing guidelines and put other people at risk. Has anyone
0: done any work looking at where the genesis of this connection is between 5G and COVID-19?
4: It's been there for a while, the 5G stuff. And then when COVID came out, you had this uh, prominent YouTuber, social influencer who came out with this theory and then it just spread like wildfire. Look, in the 1980s and early 90s, there was a widespread fear of sitting next to computer screens were causing birth defects in women and in cancer. And so you, you just you there's always something out there that people are afraid of that's affecting their health. And why is it affecting their health? Because that's the most important thing to us, isn't it? Ourselves and our families and um, that we're in good health. So that's why there's such concern and um, scrutiny over these things.
0: Robert Bartholomew, this has been absolutely fascinating. Thank you very much for joining us.
4: Sure. My pleasure.
1: It's the Coronavirus NZ podcast for Tuesday, the 21st of April. Actually, it says the 21th of April because we cut and paste things from one day to the next. But there you go. I'm Adam Dunning. He's Eugene Bingham. Thank you to Thomas Manch, Robert Bartholomew, Alex Liu, Catherine George, Patrick Routon and Carol Hirschfeld.
0: Thanks for listening. You can find us on all the usual podcast platforms plus the stuff website stuff.co.nz. And don't forget, you can email us viruspod at stuff.co.nz.
3: Proceed.